welcome to Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. I'm your host, Tom Masters, and returning to the show today is Dr. Joe Tata, the founder of the Integrative Pain Science Institute and the author of the best-selling book, Radical Relief. Welcome. Thank you, Tom. Joe, welcome back to our podcast. And we had a great session the first time. Now, I want to reintroduce him. Um, he is a global leader in integrative pain care and an advocate for the safe and ineffective treatment of chronic pain. He is a founder of the Integrative Pain Science Institute, a cutting-edge health company reinventing pain care through evidence-based treatment, research, and professional development. For 25 years, he has supported people living with pain and helped practitioners deliver more effective pain management. His research and career achievements include scalable practice models centered on lifestyle medicine, health behavior change, and digital therapeutics. He is a doctor of physical therapy, a board-certified nutrition specialist, and acceptance commitment therapy trainer. He is the author of two best-selling books, Radical Relief and Heal Your Pain Now, and host of the Healing Pain Podcast. He can be accessed at his website, integrativepainscienceinstitute.com. It's called the integrativepainscienceinstitute.com. And Joe, welcome back. Thanks, David. I'm excited to be here and talk with you again. Yeah. So what I'm excited about, as, as I mentioned on the last podcast, he just released a book this week called Radical Relief. And it's a very concise book. And I'll just briefly talk about acceptance commitment therapy, which is very close to my project also, which is a multidimensional approach. And what Joe has discovered a lot earlier in his career than I did is that if you do just surgery or just physical therapy and just keep pounding away, not understand the not understand and address the multidimensional aspects of chronic pain, it's not good for the patient. It's not very successful. And it's also very frustrating for the practitioners because you're working hard. I think every practitioner in medicine, physical therapy, or otherwise wants your patients to get better but we're not really trained this way. But I also will tell you that the clinicians I have seen that are successful in treating chronic pain are the ones that come down to the same basic approach of dealing with the mind and body as a unit, addressing all the factors that deal with chronic pain. And then I think one of the most critical aspects of it is the patients take control. Mm-hmm. So is, I'm excited to have you back on it to talk more about some of the details of what we discussed in the first part of the issue. Um, can you quickly, I thought that the book Radical Relief was very concise and clear. I liked it. Can you just give us an overview about how the flow goes in your mind, how you set the book up and what you want people to accomplish as they deal with their chronic pain? Sure. The, the book is based on three evidence-based approaches to chronic pain, um, all using the mind. And those are pain education, mindfulness, and acceptance and commitment therapy. So probably about chapter one and two has the most information about pain education. And as we spoke on the earlier um, podcast, pain education is important. We should be using it, probably most important in the beginning so we can help people with modifying their beliefs. Then as you move through the book, you're introduced to really the entire model of psychological flexibility, which comes out of the um, acceptance and commitment therapy model. And part of that model actually uses mindfulness as well. So that's how the book is set up. Some important things about the book that I'd like people to know is the book is only 100 pages. What I learned from my first book is a 300-page book is a a wonderful resource, 
Um, most people don't read an entire book like that. They like things that are relatively short, right. um, approachable. This is a workbook. So this is a book that you pick up, um, you, you know, you, you, it's in your hands, you touch and feel it. There's exercises you can write with. There are experiential mindfulness exercises. There are cognitive exercises. So I really wrote this as a, a, a clinical guide. So if you're a practitioner, you can use this in practice with your patients. Or if you're someone with pain, it's written in a way that is easily approachable. It's really void of any like um, big technical words. I really just distilled down these lessons for you. So each chapter, so if you look at a chapter, each chapter is only about one to two pages. So you can pick this up and it's, um, it's easy for you. I also really recommend because change happens, especially psychological change happens over time. There's about 35 chapters in this book. Um, only, again, only 100 pages. And I recommend that people read one chapter a day, engage with the exercise. And with that, this psychological change or process will happen in over the period of about a month. Now, my audience, um, they heard me use the word psychology in a lot of different ways. So um, the problem in medicine right now, what patients hear when they hear the word psychological is somehow the pain is imaginary. And you and I both know that's absolutely not correct. But the thoughts influence your bodily function because we're all wrapped up as one unit. Could you explain that a little bit from that perspective? Because we, you and I both know, I mean, that is a huge problem in medicine is that when we use the word psychological with patients, especially when a surgeon starts talking to them, that we don't believe them. And it's just not true. Can you explain, can you clarify that a little bit for us? Yeah, these are important points to clarify. So I mean, really, psychology is wrapped up in everything we do as humans, whether we're talking about pain or whether you're talking about, you know, interacting with your loved ones, you're going to work. Psychology is a part of everything. Um, I, I approach it like this, Dave, and this is important um, for us to think about. If you ask an athlete, um, how do you become better at your sport? They would say, well, I need to train harder and I need to exercise and I need to work on more sets and reps and things like that, Right. So I, I was a competitive gymnast. And if you ask a, a, okay. a, wow. a fellow, you ask a fellow gymnast, they'll tell you that. Are you still, and, you're, and you're still intact? <laughs> <laughs> I'm still intact. And there's a lot to be said for that. Um, so they'll tell you, well, I have to work hard. I have to train hard. to get stronger and more flexible, right? If you ask that same athlete, how much of your, how much of sports in general is mindset based? They'll say, oh, a lot of it is. I have to, you know, I have to be. Um, strong and willing and be able to deal with pain and be able to deal with challenges and competition, et cetera, et cetera. And then you ask them, okay, how much of your time is spent on mental skills training? And you can, most of the time you kind of get blank stares, unless you're dealing with super elite athletes right. who are in environments where they have um, mental skills training um, experts with them. Right. So I, I approach people with pain in the same way and ask them, say, how has this impacted your mood and your emotions? And they'll say, oh, God, I, I you know, I just feel so down since I've since chronic pain has happened. Um, there are definitely days where I've, I've been depressed. I can't get off the couch. And then I kind of approach that way and say, well, can we work with our mind a little bit here as we work with our body? Because it sounds like if we can work with your mind as well and help you with the resiliency of your mind, which you mentioned in the first episode, help you become stronger mentally. As I help you become stronger physically, I think that's gonna be the best way 
to help you overcome. What do you think about that? And most people will tell you, yes. Now, if you approach it as we have to work on your psychology, no, that, that's, that's a slippery slope and you're gonna wind up in, in, a, in a corner that you kind of can't get out of with a patient. So right. I look at it as we're gonna help you fortify your mind and help with mental and psychological skills that we all need to navigate through life. I want to talk about the last point you talked about on the first podcast where um, you asked patients the question, how willing are you to put in the work? And you're right. If you're not mentally ready to do the work, you have, I mean, any accomplishment, whether it's playing a musical instrument or, be, or doing an athletic event, it takes a mental commitment to do repetition. Of course, all of us know how to procrastinate and, and put things off. So overcoming those behavior patterns is really tough. And you're right, that doesn't change unless you change your mindset and then your body can follow. It's rare to have the body, I mean, the body can start it and help your mind, but generally you're right, it has to start with your motivation. So you mentioned that the last question you asked was how motivated are you to engage in the practices, right? Okay. Motivation is a big part of, of overcoming chronic pain. So helping people activate that motivation, yes. So let me ask you one, one question. I'm going to ask you a second one here in a second about, okay, what percent of patients do you talk to that just don't want to do this? It's 100% natural that when you live with chronic pain, it in some way zaps the motivation out of your life. Right. So then what percent of patients actually engage in the process? So I think that I think it may be a, a different question, David, is how do we help people engage in that process? Right. That is the question I'm trying to ask, I guess. Yeah. So, so there's it, a and and as I mentioned before, behavior, we are, you know, we're talking about really behavior change and the motivation right. that's required for behavior change. Right. Now, just on a on a if we take this back just for a minute to an evolutionary perspective, our mind, our brain has been trained to avoid pain. Right. And in essence, to avoid anything that's unpleasant and uncomfortable, including our emotions, as you mentioned before. Correct. So asking people on day one, hey, I want you to engage with pain, <laughs> is it's, it's normal that they say, you know what, I think I'm going to go see someone else. Right. So I don't approach, we, we don't approach pain like that in general. Right. There, there's, a, a, there's an exercise in my book called the 50th birthday exercise, I'm sorry, the 80th birthday exercise. And then in that exercise, and we can do this right now as a mindfulness exercise, or we can just, you know, write this down. I we ask people, it. we can do it. I'm, I'm up for it. Yeah. So if, if you're at home and you want to do this as an eyes closed exercise, that's fine. You can um, find a nice, comfortable seated position in your chair and you can close your eyes, or you can just find a spot low on the floor, or you can even just take a pen and uh, paper, a piece of paper and pencil out and, and write this down. But I'd like you to imagine that it's your 80th birthday. And a big surprise party is being thrown for you. And at the surprise party are all your closest friends and loved ones throughout your life. So from elementary school and high school, college, they're present. Friends from your work and career are present. Um, all your loved ones, close family, extended family, they're all present. And unbeknownst to you during the celebration, right in the middle of celebration, Someone stands up to the microphone, you know, kind of taps on the microphone and says, 
you know, happy birthday, David. I'm so excited that we're here to celebrate your life. And as part of that celebration, I want to share some of the meaningful contributions that you've made to me as, as a human in my life. So I would stand up and I say, you know, David, when we, when we were in medical school together, I was really struggling with the amount of work that I had in medical school. And you were really there as a trooper standing next to me, helping me study, helping me ace those, those tests. And I really remember you because you supported me through medical school. And now today I'm a physician. I can help other people and I can help residents do what they do. And slowly over the course of time, each of these people stand up and really talk about the impact that they had on your life. And people do this exercise. And then I ask them, I say, okay, now let that just kind of fade away for a moment. Now imagine if you didn't live the life that you wanted. Imagine if you didn't live the life that you love and the life that you dreamed about. How would your birthday look like then? And really what this exercise does is it starts, connect, starts to connect to people with what's important to them in their life, which ultimately are their values. And when you can connect people to their um, deepest, most meaningful values, and this sometimes takes time, it doesn't necessarily happen in the course of like 20 minutes during the first session. Um, clarifying values is a process that can take many weeks and sometimes even months. Right. But clarifying those values and helping people reconnect to those values is a wonderful way to rev up motivation to then engage in that behavior change that they need to return back to the life they want. Because, you know, as well as I do, David, people will talk about pain right away when you start to work with them. But if you really sit down with people and start to talk about their life, then they start to say, you know, I haven't seen my grandchildren who live five hours away because I can't sit in the car anymore in four or five hours and drive and see them because my back hurts so much when I'm driving. Or I can't play tennis anymore. I worked my entire life. I'm now retired and I have some money and some extra time, but I can't play tennis. And it's not necessarily the, the action of playing tennis, but it's the idea that um, being part of a team, let's say, is important to me. Nurturing and cultivating my health is important to me. Um, helping other people nurture and cultivate their health is important to them. So these are all the values that really are missing. So much we focus on goals, right? Right. I want you to sleep eight hours. I want you to eat a healthy diet. We talked about that earlier with regard to lifestyle change. Those are important. Or I want you to do this exercise twice a day for 10 minutes. Again, exercise is important. But what's the undercurrent supporting all that? Why should I do that? Why should I engage with exercise four times a week? Right. So when you ask those questions for people and, you know, by asking these questions, you're really starting to dig down into people's life with them. Right. And you're asking people some difficult questions as well. I think that's fascinating because I have felt for a long time that I think one of the essences of the solution for chronic pain is neuroplasticity. You're, you're stimulating your brain to change and your brain's going to develop wherever you place its attention. So if you're focused on solving the problem, which is totally understandable, your attention's on the problem, not the solution. And so I think that the essence of solving chronic pain is actually creating a new nervous system 
like a new new virtual desktop on your computer mm-hmm. with a new virtual desktop not having paint. And so that's a huge aspect of my process. Of course, we're very similar about what is your what do you want? What do you want? I mean, tell me what you want your life to look at. But also, I'm fascinated because that's one of the exercises I have actually inadvertently used for years is remember the most enjoyable part of your life in detail. What were your dreams? Where did you want to go? And just reconnect with it. It's not positive thinking, but it's literally shifting your brain back into circuits that are better. But the final metaphor I want to talk about is learning a new language that you're not going to learn French by trying to fix your English. So you're not going to develop what I call the language of an enjoyable life by trying to fix your pain, which is the default survival language. So I think that's really um, an, an interesting, interesting way of doing that. And I think that's fantastic. So what point, and I agree with you that it's hard to go from trapped, angry, and frustrated to that spot. Do you have sort of an entry point for that conversation? I'm, is that the first visit conversation? Do you let people work on things a little bit? I mean, how do you get that process started? There are definitely different ways to approach values. Most of us who work uh, in pain care try to approach them from day one on some level. I may not, okay. go, I may not go super deep on day one, but there's definitely an aspect of, of exploring with them who and what is important in their life and how does this type of care that we're about to engage in support that. Right. Yeah, no, I think it's remarkable. Um, I don't put you on the spot here. Do you have a story, just for example, somebody that you can think of that responded to this type of treatment, just a concept of as far as getting started and moving forward? Yeah, m- many stories, um, both of you know people living with pain as, as well as practitioners um, who started to, to use this work. You know, you mentioned before about that neuroplasticity, right? Right which really is what we're doing. We're, we're retraining the brain in, in many ways. We're working right. on neuroplasticity, which we know is possible. Right. The aspect of connecting people to their values, when you look at that on a neuroplasticity level, is we're really fine-tuning the reward system in their brain. Okay. So when you engage with those activities again, they're rewarding to you, right? And with reward in your brain, you have a wonderful release of those chemicals. Some of the most rewarding things that exist for us in life, and it's a little, um, in some ways paradoxical, because we think when we have pain, we need to care for ourselves and in essence, fix ourselves. And there may be an aspect there. But what I've actually found in this work, and this is actually how I leave the book off, is helping other people with how they're suffering and when you look at the literature and the research behind that is some of the most rewarding ways. So a while back, I had a, a woman who struggled with chronic spinal pain. And she was um, a relatively active woman who worked her entire life as a, as a teacher and then somehow wound up in chronic pain. And instead of engaging in her work in a retirement community, a retirement home actually, where she would help people every day with like arts and crafts and really wonderful activities. She left all that behind and she was so lonely and she so missed the interaction with these people. And there was a sense of loss that she had from and that loss really was compounding her physical pain because there's that emotional sense of loss there. Right. So I said to her, you know, 
we had this whole conversation around how extraordinary it is that you have chronic pain. And instead of thinking about your own pain right now, you're actually thinking about someone else's pain. Because these are people in the nursing home really in their later right. you know, weeks and months of life. These are you know terminal people in some ways. Right. And she really had this kind of one, I think it was a validating moment for her. But two, also, it was kind of this aha moment, like there's something more important than my pain out there. And maybe it's other people's pain. And maybe by helping other people with their pain, I actually help myself in return. Yeah, no, I agree. Once you um, get your attention turned outward instead of inward, it's a huge shift in the nervous system attention and nervous system development. So I appreciate this has been two really excellent podcasts. I'm excited about this. And again, I want to just um, emphasize this new book, Radical Relief. It's a, you said about 100 pages, Joe. And it's very concise, very clear. It moves things through relatively quickly. And we, Joe and I, are clearly on the same pathway of trying to get collaboration, collaboration, trying to get a critical mass of practitioners in all medical fields to help people heal themselves. And it's incredibly, incredibly rewarding to see people in chronic pain without hope regain hope and thrive. They just thrive at a level they never thrived at before. And that's what keeps probably both of us going um, probably at an, at an unreasonable pace. We talked about that. But yeah, it's exciting and, and inspiring and energizing to see people get better um, at, the, at the depth that, that they do. So it's called Radical Relief by Joe Tata, T-A-T-T-A. Um, he has a private practice in New York City, in Midtown, right there in Manhattan. Okay. And then the final thing is your integrative institute, you say you've trained about 200 other physical therapists in these types of concepts. Uh, I've trained about 200 physical therapists in acceptance and commitment therapy, um, probably over the last about three years. Yes. Okay. Well, again, thank you very, very much for being on the podcast. This has been delightful and I'm excited about what you're doing. It's fantastic. Thanks, David. I appreciate you. And thanks for having me on today. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Joe Tata, for being on the show today and for sharing his approach to treating chronic pain, which focuses on patient education, mindfulness, and acceptance commitment therapy. I'm your host, Tom Masters, reminding you to be back next week for another episode of Back in Control Radio with Dr. David Hanscom. And in the meantime, be sure to visit the website at www.backincontrol.com. Thanks for listening today and join us next week for Back in Control Radio.